After Hamas spent the weekend murdering at least 900 Israeli civilians, including at least 140 children and babies, the terror group has received worldwide condemnation from everyone with an even mildly functioning moral conscience, which explains how it managed to receive an endorsement from Black Lives Matter. The official Black Lives Matter Chicago chapter took to social media yesterday to express support for the Islamic terror group with a picture of a paraglider above the text, I stand with Palestine. The paraglider, of course, refers to the method by which the terrorists circumvented Israeli blockades and landed in the country. Above the endorsement, BLM wrote, that is all, that is it. Meanwhile, the BLM grassroots account took to social media to echo the endorsement, writing, quote, here it is, Black Lives Matter Grassroots stands in solidarity with our Palestinian family who are currently resisting 57 years of settler colonialism and apartheid. As black people continue to fight to end militarism and mass incarceration in our own communities, let us understand the resistance in Palestine as an attempt to tear down the gates of the world's largest open-air prison. As a radical black organization grounded in abolitionist ideals, we see clear parallels between black and Palestinian people. Clear parallels between black and Palestinian people. The parallels being that both are human and neither are particularly white. That's about it. Though the Palestinians actually look sort of white. They look more white than many Italians, actually. And until recently, they would have been considered white in U.S. demographic statistics. So no, there aren't very many parallels at all between black people and Palestinian Arabs. There are, however, many parallels between pro-Hamas activists and BLM activists. That's the key for all of us, because the language used by pro-Hamas activists is exactly the language used by BLM activists and Antifa and the American left more broadly. What Hamas did to the Jews over the weekend is precisely what BLM and the rest of the left wants to do to all of us. And we deny that fact at our own peril. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. You guys remember that time that the former CIA director suggested assassinating a sitting U.S. senator for opposing abortion? Do you remember when that happened? That was yesterday that that happened. We'll get into that in one moment. First, though, I don't want to move off of BLM just yet. I think a lot of people are reading the BLM endorsement of Hamas. Not even, by the way, a BLM endorsement of the Palestinian people or Palestinian, I don't know, statehood or something. The endorsement was of one of the paragliders who came in and massacred the civilians. They didn't massacre uniformed troops. They shot uniformed troops too. They massacred civilians and women and children and babies. It was an endorsement explicitly of Hamas. And a lot of people are looking at that and they're saying, well, yeah, of course BLM did that because BLM, they're idiots or because BLM, they're evil or because BLM, they have a completely morally imbued view of the world. Maybe all of that is true. But the main reason, the main reason that BLM is endorsing Hamas 
is because the arguments are exactly the same. BLM doesn't know anything about the historical region of Palestine. BLM doesn't know or particularly care about Arabs. BLM is endorsing Hamas because Hamas happens to be making the same argument that BLM is making. Hamas making it in the context of Jews, BLM making it in the context of white people, and Hamas making it in the context of the nation state of Israel, BLM making it in the context of the United States. I've got to give a hat tip as usual to Libs of TikTok here, uh, which found some random white person making the decolonization link between what Hamas is doing and what the left wants to do in America. Colonization is in its reckoning period um, across so much of West Africa and Central Africa. We're seeing coups and we're seeing uprisings. And, you know, I'm not an expert on the politics of Israel and Palestine. You don't say. But it is also deeply unsurprising to me seeing what's happening in Palestine. Because Can you pause it right there? Is- uh, you're going to hear a lot about this. This is going to be a common refrain, and most people aren't going to notice it. And the refrain is, look, I don't really know anything about the is- Israel-Palestine conflict, but here's my opinion. Here's what I, here's what I think is going on. I don't, know, I don't know a damn thing about it. I've never cracked the cover of a book one time. But here's my very important opinion that you should all listen to. Keep going. Everyone is acting like some people are acting confused, and the instinct here given the complexity, is to see things in terms of this is horrific, what's happened to Israel. But when you all examined colonisation and decolonizing, what did you actually think that would look like? What did you think it would look like? This woman who hasn't, an Australian or New Zealand or some kind of, you know, silly, just slightly off British accent, I don't know where she is. She could be in the United States. She could be in Australia. She could be in Timbuktu. And she's making this argument for all of the oppressed people who have been colonized by the evil white man in Europe, and in particular, the British man. They're going to throw off the shackles, and they're going to rise up, and liberation and decolonization, well, you know what it looks like? It looks like murdering women and children. And that's what they're calling for, and they're calling for that here which is why now is a very good time to pray. And when you want to pray, one tool that might help you pray is Hallow. Right now, go to hallow.com slash Knowles. With everything going on in the world, there is no better time to build a daily habit of prayer and meditation. Building a habit of prayer can help you cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Focusing on what you are thankful for can increase positive emotions and improve overall well-being. Also, it's a duty that you owe to God, so you should pray. Hallow is the number one Christian prayer app in the U.S., It has helped a lot of people maintain a daily prayer routine. It can help you too. Download the app for free at hallow.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. You can set prayer reminders and track your progress along the way. Not sure where to start? Check out Father Mike Schmitz's Bible in a Year, available on the Hallow app for brief daily readings and reflections, or pray alongside Mark Wahlberg, Jim Caviezel, even some world-class athletes like me. No, I'm not on there yet, but I, and I'm also not, I'm not a world-class, okay. With Hallow, you can customize a personal prayer plan that works for you. Listen wherever you are with downloadable offline sessions. Use Hallow to connect to others who share 
your beliefs and foster a sense of community. Right now, go to hallow.com slash Knowles. Get an exclusive three months free. That is hallow.com slash Knowles. Get three months absolutely free. The decolonization argument is key here. People care about what happens in the Holy Land. They care in part because we hate to see innocent people killed or treated cruelly or with injustice. People care about what happens in the Holy Land more than, say, what happens in Ukraine or something, because it's the Holy Land, because we all have an interest in the Holy Land. We all have a natural inclination toward a longing for the Holy Land, a connection that we might not even be able to quite articulate, but we feel that connection to the Holy Land. That's, that's in part why people care more about what's going on there. But even if you don't care at all, you don't care about the nation state of Israel, you don't care about the Palestinian Arabs, you don't care about Lebanon, you don't care about Egypt, you don't care about Iran or any of that stuff. The arguments for what Hamas did and is doing apply to the U.S. as well. And why is that? Why is BLM, why do BLM and Hamas sound exactly the same when they're talking about what seem to be totally different issues? The reason for that is the historical circumstances in which the modern nation state of Israel came to be are extremely similar to the historical circumstances in which the United States came to be. I'm not talking about the historical and theological claims that justify the existence of the nation-state of Israel. I'm not talking about the claims that go back to antiquity. I'm talking about the historical circumstances in which those claims came to have a practical effect. I'm talking about the 19th century. The, the origins of the modern nation-state of Israel date back to the 19th century to the rise of Zionism. And then Zionism really starts to take off in the latter part of the 19th century. It then gets a, a land grant, a promise from the British in 1917, and then the nation-state of Israel is founded in 1948. Those circumstances, going back to the early 19th century, are the circumstances of nationalism. Don't forget, 1848 is the year that all of Europe was set on fire. 1848 is the year, and it's probably not even really taught in schools anymore, 1848 is the year of revolutions. You had revolutions in Italy, France, Germany, Belgium, Sweden, Switzerland, everywhere. Everywhere you have revolutions that begin around 1948. Why is that? Because of a surge in nationalism. You saw a decline of empire, you saw a decline of monarchy, and that really all collapses, that culminates in the First World War. Uh, no coincidence in the First World War when the British issued the, the Balfour Declaration that says we're going to reserve some land in the Holy Land for the Jews to have a nation state. The very fact that it was the British who gave the United States our country, we kind of fought them a little bit for it, but the British were pretty involved in setting the whole thing up. And the British were also pretty involved, the British Empire was pretty involved in setting up the nation state of Israel, is, I think, a lot of the reason why you're seeing similarities between the BLM argument and the Hamas argument. Uh, even going back to the, the American Revolution, which was a, an attack on the Age of Empire. It was an attack on the British Empire. It was a turning away from monarchy toward this new modern nation-state way of doing things. And so as history has rolled along and you've seen a reconsideration, a an outright vilification of empire, of tradition, of basically anything that came before the latest surges in political fads, you are seeing the, the rhetoric uh, 
be mirrored in in all of those places. And so it's it's sometimes said that uh, you know Israel's enemies are America's enemies, which is a practical matter is largely true. It's not totally true, but it's largely true. Uh, but it, it doesn't mean that Hamas is going to come over here and set off a bomb. It could. We've had Islamic terror attacks in the United States. That certainly could happen. But I think the deeper meaning of that is the, the argument against the nation state of Israel can pretty much just as easily be applied to the United States and is being applied to the United States. And if that argument is allowed to succeed and gain currency, it's going to redound to our detriment here in the good old U.S. of A. Speaking of nationalism, uh, I know Ukraine is kind of yesterday's news. No one really talks about Ukraine anymore. The people have lowered the flags now. That's not, that's, that's not in the news. But you remember there was that American transvestite who was the spokesman for the Ukraine military for some reason, and then the American transvestite decided to threaten to murder American journalists. And then uh, U.S. Senator J.D. Vance raised some questions about this. And then this this American transvestite, Michael Cirillo, was put on leave. He's been reinstated. The the, uh, uh, psycho American transvestite who threatened to kill us all, uh, he not only was reinstated by the Ukraine military, but he was reinstated to the applause of NATO. Uh, NATO has said, we have managed to clear Sarah, that's what this guy goes by now, Sarah from all allegations and sort out all misunderstandings. She is an extraordinary example of Americans who stand shoulder to shoulder with Ukrainians in our fight for independence and democracy. Great, shoulder to shoulder, very broad shoulders for a lady, but she's got very beefy, strong, broad, very masculine shoulders, and she is standing shoulder to shoulder with uh, the rest of the Ukrainians. Why would this person, why would this person be the spokesman? Is this just an elaborate sketch? I know that uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, was a, a TV comedian. Is this just an SNL sketch? Is this mad TV? It doesn't look real. It doesn't look like a real spokesman for a real military and a real war in a real country. It all looks fake and farcical and ridiculous. How could this happen? And then how could NATO applaud this person for threatening to kill me (laughs) and any other conservative commentator or journalist or anyone really who raises any questions about the war in Ukraine? Over the objections of a sitting U.S. senator, NATO says, oh, this person's wonderful, a shining, extraordinary example. How did this happen? This is happening because our empire has become a joke. The United States, whether we want it or not, we are an empire. We're the global hegemon. We run the entire world. The entire rest of the world looks to the United States for leadership, at least as of now. We say jump, the rest of the world says how high. At least that used to be the case. The reason that our imperial projects, like what's going on in Ukraine, are farcical is because our empire has become farcical. Because the empire now... Previously, it stood for Christianity, truth, justice, the American way. Now it stands for mass migration and LGBT LMNOP rights, quote unquote, and what? And consumerism? And what? McDonald's? What do we stand for? McDonald's is the best thing on that list. 
What, what does the American empire mean? What are our values? When we go into Afghanistan, what are we bringing there? If we're bringing truth, justice, Christianity, that's uh, great. Oh, I'm, I'm all for it. Sounds, we need to be prudent about the way that we spread those truths. We need to be just about it, but that's good. Those are good things to spread. If we're raising pride flags in Kandahar, I want nothing to do with that. What are we doing in Ukraine? Are we, are we, we're spreading transgenderism to Ukraine? Well, stop. Are, are they trying to get us to root for Putin? <laughs> if if what, what America stands for is murderous psycho transvestites who threaten to kill journalists? No, thanks. I don't want that. Why is the trouble breaking out in Middle East right now? Not just the Hamas terror attack, but the, the ensuing war that's going to bring in all of these other, not only regional powers, but world powers. Why is that happening? It's happening because our empire has become a joke. This didn't happen under Trump. Maybe you love Trump. Maybe you hate Trump. Maybe you feel broadly indifferent to Trump. That's probably unlikely. But it is simply a fact. When that man was president, we had relative world peace. Like everywhere. We didn't have Vladimir Putin invading new countries. We didn't have wars breaking out in the Middle East. We had peace in the Middle East. We had the Abraham Accords and the radical Muslims used caution when they were dealing with the region. And Saudi Arabia made peace with the state of Israel and things were pretty cool. Kim Jong-un was calming down because Donald Trump threatened to blow him up and called him short and fat. When we had a leader who, for all of his eccentricities, stood for basic normal things and the good old basic normal American way, the world was at peace. And now we have a joker who may or may not even be alive, this president. He's strung up on marionette strings, who's promoting transgenderism in Eastern Europe and all around the world, who's funneling money for some reason to the Iranian mullahs, who's opening up our border to millions of invaders. And, and surprise, 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 we get chaos and war. We want to turn away from that. We need to if we want to be able to maintain the relative order that we've been able to maintain in recent years, we need to stop being a joke ourselves. And we need to eradicate preposterous ideologies from public life because they don't help anybody. Bringing all of this together, how do you bring together BLM and the war now in the Middle East and the weird LGBT stuff? You do it in the context of Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat Congress lady who has, has a, a lot of flags outside of her office. She's got on the door of her office, it's the United Auto Workers. Stand up, say the American dream. Probably the main reason the UAW is even striking is because of the regulations passed by Joe Biden to destroy their industry, but that's a topic for another time. Then in the flag in the most prominent position outside of Rashida Tlaib's office is the Palestine flag. The red, green, white, and black. Then next to that flag is the flag of the state of Michigan. Okay. Then the flag of the city of Detroit. And then the gay flag. Not even the new gay flag. It's the old gay flag. She doesn't even have the triangle with the, you know, the militant transvestite quarter of the flag. That's not there yet. She, she needs to update that. That's a very outdated and offensive old-timey gay flag. Uh, you notice a flag that's missing? Just one flag. She's got a lot of flags there. She does not want for, for flagpoles around her office. And yet there's one flag that's missing. That would be the American flag. 
not there. Not there. If this picture doesn't sum up the American left, I don't know what does. You've got the Palestine flag on one side and the gay flag on the other. And if one of the guys that the gay flag represents ever made his way into the West Bank or Gaza, he would be thrown from a rooftop. But Rashida Tlaib sees no contradiction here. I don't know how many Palestinian refugees are marching in West Hollywood pride parades. Probably not very many. Those two flags don't have a lot to do with one another. But they do at at a deep level, which is they are flags to upend the current order. They are flags that oppose the oppressors. They, and they agree on who the oppressors are. They agree on who the people, the bad people are who need to be taken care of. And the bad people are us. The bad people are just normal, ordinary, largely American, Western, traditional kind of people. And the solution that Rashida Tlaib has for that, the, the solution that the BLM people have for that, the solution that the American left broadly, whether they're willing to admit it or not, and a hell of a lot of them are willing to admit it, is the solution that you saw Hamas use over the weekend, the paragliders that BLM endorses, the attacks on civilians, because the the left makes no distinction between political and private. They don't really make a distinction between civilian and uniformed soldier. That's it. That's what it's about. The bad guys are the ordinary traditional Americans. That's why there's no American flag outside of Rashida Tlaib's office. A lot of chaos in the world. That's why when you want to protect your assets, you might want to check out Birch Gold. Text Knowles to 989898. The G20, the group of 20, is an international forum for governments and central bank governors. It was established in response to the financial crises of the late 90s with the aim of promoting international financial stability. How's that been going? <laughs> Last month, the G20 announced a plan to impose digital currencies and digital IDs on their respective populations. Central bank digital currencies essentially allow the government to track every purchase you make even if you don't follow international economic policies all that closely, you've got to be concerned. You should consider diversifying at least some of your assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold. Call Birch Gold today to preserve your savings in a tax-sheltered retirement account. If you have an IRA or 401k from a previous employer that is just gathering dust, call Birch Gold. They will help you convert it into an IRA in gold. You will not pay a penny out of pocket. They will simply convert that 401k that's just sitting in a bank somewhere into physical gold, which cannot be tampered with. Text Knowles, Canada WLES, to 989898. Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on gold. If digital currency becomes a reality, you will be glad to have something physical to fall back on. Text Knowles, Canada WLES, to 989898. Claim your free info kit on gold today. Jeremy's Chocolate is offering a special 25% discount just in time for Halloween. We all know that woke candy companies out there think that Frankenstein can become his own bride. Who writes this copy? Who, who are we paying a salary to, to, to? That's why Jeremy's Chocolate launched our she, her, and he, him bars, only one of which has nuts. And what could be more fun than to share in Jeremy's Chocolates in the microaggression size? That's right. Don't miss out on our newest addition to Jeremy's anti-woke chocolate lineup. The deal ends today. Make sure that you get your order in to get 25% off. Go to jeremyschocolate.com and order now to get it in time. For Halloween. Speaking of claims of oppression, big story. 
in the LA Times, black people are fleeing the United States because of the oppression and the colonialism and the imperialism and the ism and the racism and the ismism. America does not deserve me why black people are leaving the United States, says the LA Times. Now, because this is the LA Times, I have a good hunch going into this article that whatever it says is not true. But here's what the article says. Filmmaker Jamila Nuruddin was locked down in LA during the pandemic, watching as the nation convulsed in protest over the murder of George Floyd when she had an epiphany. America does not deserve me. As a black woman, Nuri Dean always tried to work twice as hard as those around her, thinking if I'm smart enough, pretty enough, successful enough, then finally people will treat me as a human being. But she grieved yet another unarmed black man killed by police. She decided she was done trying to prove herself to a society that she felt would never really love her back. So Nuri Dean, 39, packed her bags and left. She now spends her days working for U.S. clients in chic cafes in the Caribbean, leading healing ceremonies at a local waterfall and trying to figure out who she is exactly outside of an American context. It's like leaving an abusive relationship, she said, of exiting the United States. Okay, a lot in there. But the major claim is black people are fleeing the United States because of racism and injustice. And that is just not true. And here's how I know for a fact that that's not true. How many, what what was the net movement of black people into and out of the United States over the last, say, 20 years? Roughly 3 million into the United States. Not out, it wasn't a mass exodus. It was people moving in. 2 million from Africa, 1 million from the Caribbean. They moved into, they immigrated into the United States. Why would they immigrate into the United States if America is terribly racist and evil and unjust and uh, racist cops go around slaughtering black, black men, innocent people all the time? Why would they do that? Because they know that that's not true. Because they know that it's actually pretty good in the United States for black people and for most other people. Because they know that not only will they not have trouble getting a job, because of the color of their skin. They know that they'll have extra help getting a job because of the color of their skin. Not only will they not have a harder time getting into college because of the color of their skin, they'll have an easier time getting into college because of the color of their skin because we have not only de facto, but de jure racial discrimination in the United States on behalf of black people and Hispanic people to a lesser degree and against white people and Asian people to a lesser degree. That has technically been struck down in recent months because the Supreme Court Uh, struck down affirmative action in college admissions. But the the college is all just admitted. They're just going to figure out a way to hide it now. And they'll they'll hide it in the personal statement. Just just completely made up. But this narrative, the reason I bring it up, this narrative, which we, we know, you know, I'm skeptical of statistics, but certain statistics like how many people come in, how many people go out are, are pretty solid. Uh, at least when it comes to legal immigration. Illegal immigration, the Biden administration is a little weaker on. But on legal immigration, it's pretty clear. Black people are coming into the United States. We, we can know for a fact that that is the behavior. And yet this narrative prevails. And the narrative is very, very powerful. That narrative burned down half the country for about eight months during the George Floyd riots. That narrative shapes many, many people, not just black people. It shapes the views of white liberals. It shapes the views of all sorts of people. All sorts of liberal people who 
are mistaken. But those mistaken ideologies can have horrific effects and impel people to do very, very terrible things. That's what you're seeing in this campaign for decolonization, which is, which is aiming toward, we saw it over the weekend, proof positive. We saw it in the endorsements of BLM. It is aiming toward violence against civilians, against men, women, children, and little babies. They want to come kill us because they've convinced themselves of a bogus narrative. Even if that historical narrative were true, and it's not, it still would not justify their actions. There is no moral or ethical justification for the targeting of civilians. They don't know that. These are very, very confused people. And what's very dangerous is not just that they're confused it's a fallen world and people have defects of intellect and will. What's dangerous is that narrative has been pushed by the most elite segments of our country, in the media, in academia, in government, in entertainment, everywhere, everywhere. And so it's taken hold. Doesn't necessarily matter that it's not true. It can have real effects in the world. Speaking of immigration, a little bit of good news. As America lets in millions and millions of illegals across the border every single year, they decided they were finally going to exercise immigration law and enforce it by kicking out a nice conservative Christian German homeschooling family. Forget about MS-13 that's raping and pillaging and murdering and peddling drugs across the border. Those guys get to operate with impunity. There are the poor oppressed dreamers. Ignore their face tattoos and their Satan-worshiping rituals. No, no, no. They're, they're future, undocumented, happy, dreaming Americans. We need to just release them into the interior. But the nice German family that minds its own business and takes care of itself and, and is actually fleeing political persecution in Germany where they're not allowed to homeschool and raise their kids according to their faith, and the ones who you know pay their taxes and do their jobs and have kids and are just normal and reasonable and decent, they have to be deported. So that, that story came out a few weeks ago, uh, even though they've been in the United States since 2008. Well, a source has just reported yesterday that the family has received a one-year reprieve from deportation. Why? Did, did immigration enforcement, did the Biden administration realize the error of their ways and the injustice here? No, of course not. They just got caught. And they were getting pressure from Congress. They were getting pressure from some conservative leaders who still have a modicum of political power in the U.S. And they knew this was, this was a bad look. And they knew it was just so transparent that the Biden administration is going to invite into the country its allies, namely terrorists and gangsters and drug dealers and rapists and murderers. They were going to invite them in and release them into the country with impunity. But they were going to deport the Biden administration's enemies, namely nice Christian homeschoolers from Germany who have a nice family. They had to go. And it, lo- it was so transparent that the, the way that this administration operates, the way the liberal establishment broadly operates, is not according to the rule of law, of course. They, the border's wide open. They operate according to rewarding friends and punishing enemies. Two tiers of justice. BLM doesn't, doesn't barely get a slap on the wrist. And... Uh, the, the Midwestern grannies on January 6th, the worst day in history, they, they get thrown in solitary confinement for 40 months. It just looked so bad. That, okay, this one gets away. This one, they get one more year. And then hopefully it dies down in the news and they can deport them then. It's good news. I'll take the win while we've got it. But the, the problem is far from over. You want to talk about our corrupt deep state. The former CIA director, Michael Hayden, responded to a post on Twitter, now known as X, which is, should 
Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville be removed from his committee. And uh, General, former CIA Director Michael Hayden says, how about the human race? Ha ha ha. <laughs> if I were Tommy Tuberville, I'd be sleeping with one eye open because that's not an empty threat. It's something that the CIA has <laughs> been known to do once or twice to engage in political assassination. It's something we've seen increasing political violence in recent years. We've seen calls, forget about the CIA, we've seen calls from liberals more broadly to attack conservatives. Not not armed soldiers, but conservative leaders, some public officials, push back on them. Go to their homes where their children sleep. We heard that from Maxine Waters. Don't You can't be civil with people who disagree with you. That was Hillary Clinton. Eric Holder, former Obama attorney general, all these guys. Not exactly an empty threat. It does give a decent picture of our government. And here's the decent picture. There's a little silver lining to the former CIA director calling for the assassination of a sitting senator. The silver lining is, if the CIA actually wanted to take this guy out, they probably would do it. If the CIA were what people imagine the CIA to be, if if the deep state were omnipotent as people believe it to be, then they would just do this stuff, right? They wouldn't post about it on Twitter. They would just start killing senators. And they don't do that because the deep state, even the CIA, the vaunted CIA, they're not ubiquitous. They're, they're, they're not omnipotent. And they're not ubiquitous for that matter. And they're not, they've got a lot of power, but they don't, they don't have total power. And they control enough to become irate when our duly elected leaders exercise power. That's the most telling part about this to me, is the, the indignance that you see from Michael Hayden. What, why does he want to assassinate Tommy Tuberville? Because Tommy Tuberville is asking the Pentagon to rescind its new policy to pay service members to go all around the country to kill their babies. He says, that's a bad use of Pentagon funds. That's a bad policy. It's a new policy. We don't like it. So stop, stop that. We want the U.S. military to kill our enemies, not to kill American babies. We think about the horror when we read in the news of babies being murdered. Been in the news quite a lot, I'm sorry to say, recently. Tommy Tuberville shares that horror. Says, well, the United, the United States government is now making that its policy. The Pentagon is now making it a top priority to kill the children of American service members or else what? Tommy Tuberville says, if you don't rescind the policy, I'm going to hold up your promotions. So you're not going to have as many generals as you want. You're not going to have as much of the top brass of the Pentagon, which is the real problem here. The real problem isn't the enlisted guy in the middle of the country. The real problem isn't the normal guy who kept his head down at West Point or the Naval Academy and became an officer or went through OCS and he's, he's perfectly ordinary and he doesn't want to put up with all this woke nonsense. The real problem is that top brass. It's the top brass that's whining and huffing and puffing about white rage and the need to, to read critical race theory to be a fighting force. The top brass is the one pushing the transgender bathrooms and military policies. They're the problem. And the top brass, they're the ones that are promoting infanticide for American service members. And Tommy Tuberville says, no. If you're really, so, and, and then the, the Pentagon says, well, you're endangering national security. Oh, no, you're endangering national security. <laughs> if you think that America faces an existential threat right now and you need the promotions, then rescind your new and insane infanticide policy. 
And then you get your generals. Well, no, we're not willing to do that. Oh, so I, okay. You would rather an attack on the American homeland. You would rather the American military not be able to fight and defend our national interest than give up your infanticide policy. Okay, tells me everything I need to know about the top brass. Good, none of you are getting your promotions. Good. And what this tells you then about the deep state and the CIA types like Michael Hayden is not that they actually pull every single one of the strings. No, Tommy Tuberville pulls some strings here. The U.S. Senate still pulls some strings. But it shows you that these unaccountable people have enough influence that they would become irate when the Senate, especially Republicans in the Senate, actually exercise their power. That's such a rarity. Republicans aren't supposed to do that. Republicans are just supposed to send out fundraising emails, supposed to send out some tweets, maybe write some strongly worded letters, but they're never supposed to wield power for conservative ends. That's crazy. Uh-uh. They don't, they're not supposed to set policy. We're supposed to set policy in the deep state. My favorite comment yesterday is from Graham Treziz. 1114, who says, finally someone corrects, I could care less. Thank you, Michael. It's my pleasure. I try not to. I remember I read, I think it was in Strunk and White, that unless you are an English teacher, you should not correct somebody's English. But when I see some lib on TikTok or something, some left-wing prominent person, and they use a phrase like that, it just, it grates, and I take the liberty to correct them. If you could care less about something, it means you care about it somewhat. The phrase is, you could not care less. Because then you don't care about it at all. The more you know. I want one of those NBC little star logos to come across. Speaking of duly elected leaders, we have a race for the House Speaker on right now. This information is going to become outdated the moment I say it. In fact, even in real time as I'm speaking, it's probably all changed. But... The way the race is set up, uh, you've got uh, Jim Jordan, a favorite of conservatives, and Steve Scalise, who conservatives also like, but he's a little bit less conservative, and he's been in House leadership a little bit a little bit longer. He's been on the leadership track, unlike Jim Jordan, who is chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, there is a behind-closed-doors kind of debate conversation with the two candidates, so they're going to hash out their differences. This is not meant for the public because the public doesn't vote on the House Speaker. It, the House Speaker is elected by the members of Congress, so they, they had that last night. Uh, according to DW Nominate, which is not run by us, sadly, but it's, it's a metric that political scientists sometimes use to gauge people's political views. According to that, uh, Jim Jordan is the more conservative candidate. The first dimension of DW Nominate describes how liberal or conservative the members are. And then the second dimension reveals uh, how closely aligned the members are with the establishment. So those are, those are not synonymous issues, uh, and they're, they're both kind of relevant. So according to DW Nominate, the average Jordan backer is more conservative than 69% of House Republicans. So all in all, pretty, pretty solid you know, not more conservative than 99%, not total rock rib Attila the Hun style, but more conservative than most House Republicans. That's a pretty good sign. And more anti-establishment than 73% of them. That's a good sign. Scalise's average supporter is more conservative only than a 37% of the GOP membership. That's not a good sign. That's And Scalise's average supporter is more anti-establishment than just 30% of the GOP caucus. So that's not good. Uh, Scalise is fine. He, he would probably be better than 
some previous speakers that we've had. I really like Jim Jordan. I think he he could be a good speaker. The only reason I hesitate to endorse him is one speaker's always going to disappoint you because they've got a rank, uh, they've got a herd cats with that Republican conference. But two, it's a it's the worst job in Washington, and I wouldn't wish it on a good guy like Jim Jordan. Uh, the other thing is it could also be McCarthy. So if Scalise and Jordan are not able to get a clear win here, and with a razor thin majority for Republicans, you know the Democrats might end up picking the speaker, which is one of the reasons that it was a little bit risky. To, to oust Kevin McCarthy. It could be McCarthy too. McCarthy said he's not going to run for it again, but he might just get elected. He might, you know, campaign behind the scenes or say that he'd be willing to do it, and then he could just wind up the speaker again. There's, there's one other option, which is the one that I know we're all holding out for. Not because it would necessarily be the most effective thing or uh, conducive to conservative policy, but it would certainly be the funniest, and that is Speaker Trump. Uh, Donald Trump has suggested that he might consider being a temporary speaker. The man does not want to be the actual speaker of the House, and he doesn't want to be the speaker of the House because he's running for president and he's up 50 points on his opponents. And I'm not sure he can win the general, but he, he's almost certainly going to lock up the GOP nomination. And so he says, I want to be speaker when I can get the real job. Uh, but he has suggested he might be willing to step in temporarily. I think this would be great. I strongly encourage this, even if it's only for five seconds, because Do- Donald Trump is a world historic figure. <laughs> Whether you love him or hate him, he's just different from the other presidents that we've had before. And so it would be very charming if he could be the president and the Speaker of the House. And then what he has to do, and I don't know if the timing will work, but if he does somehow manage to make it back to the White House, he's got to nominate himself for the Supreme Court so that he can have served in all three branches of government, ideally for uh, chief justice. I, not Again, not because he's qualified to be on the Supreme Court, not because he's necessarily the best choice for speaker. I do think he was an excellent president, but really just because it would be super duper funny, and I would really enjoy that. Now, speaking of a return to decent government, This is really good news, and especially coming after Columbus Day. You know Columbus Day is one of my favorite holidays. Christopher Columbus, much maligned. Uh, The the American left was too busy uh, simping for Hamas this year to engage in their usual attacks on Christopher Columbus, one of the great men of history who helped to found our entire civilization in the new world. Uh, But, and and a wonderful product of the old world too, and a a great devout Catholic and just a, a very impressive man who made it across the ocean blue with dead reckoning in his own grit and prayers and faith. Uh, but I, I was off on Columbus Day. I like the idea of taking Columbus Day off, okay? I like the idea of acknowledging this good man and this good holiday. There's some good news. As the statues have been falling for years and years, and they malign Columbus with the same arguments that you hear from the pro Hamas side and the BLM side and Antifa and the left. They say he was a colonizer, He was an imperialist. He was a white man. He was bad. He was just, he was Catholic. Oh, he's the worst thing. He's Catholic. Oh, no. Uh, Well, we hear all of that in recent years. One little town in Providence decided to put a statue back up. Or one little town in Rhode Island, not Providence, put a statue back up. Uh, That would be uh, Johnston Memorial Park. In Johnston Memorial Park, in Johnston, Rhode Island, they took a statue that had been taken down in Providence, and they moved it over to this town, and they put it back up. 
This was uh, thanks to Provident, former Providence Mayor Joe Paulino, good son of Italy, who purchased the old statue and brought it over to this nice town. Why is this such a great story? It's such a great story, not because we're all going to take trips to Johnston, Rhode Island, though maybe we should. Not because it's not a bad thing that the bigger towns and the bigger cities, Providence and all over them, even New York wants to take these statues down. It's not that, not that we've made it out of the woods, that they're going to keep their statues up. But it means that we can restore things. We don't need to just shrug our shoulders and accede to the, the left's absolute destruction of our civilization. The, the lib cities want to take down the Columbus statues. The conservative towns can put them back up. The lib cities want to take away parents' rights. The conservative towns can say, come on over here if you want to raise your kids. The, cons- the liberal cities want to enshrine the rainbow flag and trans the five-year-olds. The conservative towns can say, we're not going to tolerate that here. We've got bathrooms for men and bathrooms for women. And if you're an adult and you talk to kids about weird sex stuff, you're going to get arrested. And if you are an adult and you try to put some weird, obscene material into schools and libraries, you're going to get arrested. We can do that. No, Antifa's not there tearing that statue down in Johnston, Rhode Island. Not just yet. You could do it in your town too. Hope is not lost. We can return. We're not going to go back in time. We're going to keep going forward in time. But we can turn toward the right direction. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to check out for two months free on all annual plans.